Welcome to the Laravel Podcast, episode 55, in which I talk to Laravel creator Taylor Otwell. We learn about his backstory, where he came from, and what helped him and made him start Laravel in the first place. Stay tuned. Taylor, it's great to have you on uh, season three of the Laravel Podcast. Um, obviously, you've been around since the very beginning, but we're doing a little switch up here where uh, I'm going to start doing interviews. So I'm super excited to have you as the first person whose brain I get to pick here. So I guess uh, we can start with uh, say hi to the people. Hey, people. Hey, party yeah. people. <laughs> hey, party people. Um, <laughs> so the uh, what we're going to do here for today is I feel like, um, and I told you this beforehand, but I feel like there, a lot of people have talked to you about Laravel, about development, about um, the latest version, you know, every time a new version comes out, you know, 5.5 just came out, people want to talk about that. And, and maybe we'll cover that a little bit. But what I feel like we haven't talked about quite as much is uh, the man behind the scenes kind of thing. Like, I, I think that there's a lot about you um, that people don't know. And so I, I, I first started with the questions that, you know, I've known you for years now. Um, I feel like I know you really well. And there's still certain things I don't know about your, your past. But then I also asked a few folks, what are some things you really want to know about Taylor and how he works? So we're just going to kind of off the cuff, just kind of throw some of those questions at you and kind of see where it goes. Sound good? Sounds good. Awesome. All right. So first of all, back to the early days. Uh, when did you first have a computer in your home? Um, I think it was about... 10 or 11, I had a computer, a 66 megahertz computer that our neighbor actually, I think, had had kind of built for us because my neighbor was a, a computer programmer across the street. And, uh, you know, this was kind of back sort of in the early days of uh, Windows, I guess. Mm -hmm. It was like Windows 3.1 or something like that. Yeah. And so he was a early Windows programmer, and my parents had... I think ask him to help them get a computer for us. And it had like a little megahertz readout on the front of the screen and uh, or on the front of the tower, I guess, and it was like Windows 95. So I, I'm always interested to hear from people what role kind of early access and interest in computers um, has for them. So, you know, you having that neighbor, was it your neighbor that kind of sparked your interest or was it having that computer? What was it that really sparked your interest in computers when you first got into them? You know, it's hard to say. I don't think it was necessarily the neighbor that sparked the interest. I'm not sure I even realized um, that my neighbor was a programmer until later. But right. I think I was just always interested in kind of um, sci-fi type stuff and geeky stuff. Like, um, of course, I was always like Star Wars. Um, I liked the Jetsons cartoon when I was a kid, you know, and all the cool tech stuff they had. So yeah. I guess I was just always kind of drawn to uh, futuristic tech stuff. So it was natural to sort of be into computers and um, I, my first kind of dabbling in programming was like just playing HTML, you know, where I would make um, little websites about the games I liked, like Pokemon or um, whatever other games I was playing at the time. Just little yeah. like tips and strategy side. I remember one of the first ones I ever made, actually, which was on CompuServe. And our neighbor, that same neighbor helped um, me and his son put it on CompuServe was a website about Civilization Two and sort of our strategies for, for that game. Yes. I, do you, <laughs> what's the oldest website that you still have access to? Do you know? I don't have anything from my childhood, unfortunately. Uh, I wish I did. I wish I would have, you know, thought to take screenshots of them and stuff. But yeah, most a lot of them or several of them were on GeoCities and other like you know free sites like that. Yep, I remember my GeoCity sites. I, 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 the only thing I remember is that the first one that I ever built, I hosted on GeoCities, 
and it had a single image in it because like image tags were pretty new at that point. And it, so it was like basically like text about me and then a giant picture with a page curl on the corner of the picture because the page curl was the hottest Photoshop effect or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought the little counters were cool too that you could put oh on my the, God, yeah. the website. I was listening to somebody's podcast recently. I don't know who it was. And the guy who had originally created Link Exchange was on there. Do you were you do you ever do those? Yeah, I remember those. Those oh, were big, especially in like the yeah. Pokemon uh, website world. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were all just waiting for one of those big sites to get a get a link over to us because of how the Link Exchange role played mm-hmm. or whatever. So um so it sounds like HTML is where you got started. Do you ever do any? Um, I don't know what the, the the right term is, but uh, like app coding, coding, like a like a basic or anything like that. Um, early on, or was it uh, until later? Yeah, I wrote a few basic things. Um, I also got really into like TI eighty three calculator uh, programs, oh, yeah. where I would I would write little um, strategy games or. Um, you know, back then, in at least in like middle school and high school, the popular thing was like that drug wars game. I was I just going to say drug wars. That yeah. was it. So I would write games like that, either like with drugs or with other uh-huh. like lemonade stand um, type games. And I learned how to do that basically like sitting in um, ninth grade English. I just kind of taught myself how to program the calculator. Those were really the first real programs I wrote, I mm-hmm. feel like. Um, when was your first exposure to the internet that you remember? Uh, we had internet pretty early after I got my first computer. We had dial-up internet. Um, okay. Just like a 14.4 modem. Yeah. Um, so that was my first exposure to the internet. I don't even remember what sites were really a thing back then. I remember mainly looking at just like video game sites and like Yahoo mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so when you were kind of thinking then about coding... Um, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of us, we were just kind of figuring it out as we went. Did you think, man, this is what I want to do forever? Or is it just kind of like a fun thing and you were still... Like, did you have a different plan for your life at that point? I actually did not plan to do coding. Um, even when I entered college, I was doing my degree in like um, computer networking and stuff because I thought programming would be too mathematical and sort of boring. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have a good understanding of what p- real programming was like, like at a professional level. I don't, I'm, just, I'm not sure like if... You know, schools back then, even in college, I'm not sure I really got a good picture of what actual on-the-job programming is like. I always imagined it to be so, like, you know, theoretical and really hard, like, calculus yeah. all the time and stuff like that. But it really, you know, at least for the kind of programming we do um, on the web, it doesn't tend to be that way. Um, so I went, I went through all of college not planning to even be a programmer. Did you do well in, I hope you don't mind me asking, did you do well in math in like high school? Did you take calculus and everything? Yeah, I was always like a B student in math. Okay. So I was just like, okay, you know, I wasn't right. exceptional. Not enough it. that the idea of uh, programming being very mathy made you excited about it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Did you, uh, like a different tack, did you always consider yourself someone who's going to do entrepreneurial stuff? Like at what point did you start thinking of yourself as, I'm, I'm someone who's going to start a business? Um, only a few years after I'd gotten out of college and had a taste of, uh, kind of a taste of the fact that anyone could take PHP and build an entire web application, which Mm -hmm. I didn't really realize, I guess, at the time that that was pretty possible for someone to do. Um, and once I kind of realized that I, my brain just started churning with different ideas. And even if it wasn't something that would um I could do full time, but just something small to like supplement my income or whatever. 
Um, so I was probably like three, two or three years out of um, college before I really started thinking that way, though. So what what was your first exposure to PHP um, that led you to having that experience? So my first, very first exposure was in college itself. We had a class project. It was a group project. So I had two other people in my group. And we had to build a kind of an inventory tracking system for a local kind of charity. And this was sort of our final senior thing. Um, and we, we were all assigned like real world projects in the community. And so we happened to get this inventory tracking thing. And so one of the guys in the group had was familiar with PHP apparently and said, oh, we can use PHP for this. It's pretty easy. And I didn't really know any better. So I was like, sure, sounds good. Right. And that's when I really um, got my first exposure to PHP, even though I, on that project, I mainly did, you know, talking with the customer and finding out what, how they needed it to work and stuff like that. And then later, you know, a couple of years down the road, when I started having ideas for side projects and stuff, I had remembered that he had chosen PHP back a couple of years ago in that class project and that it was supposed to be easy or whatever. And I knew that we did, we were able to launch the project. So it wasn't too hard, apparently. Um, were you? Yeah, okay. yeah. So that's when I, that's when I kind of revisited PHP because I hadn't actually used it very much in college. We had just, you know, my partner had chosen it as our programming language for that project. In college, when he chose that, were you doing .NET at that point, or did you get into it out of college? No, I only did .NET once I got hired at my first, you know, actual programming job. The only programming courses I took in college were two semesters of C++, and that was okay. it, actually. I only had those two semesters of programming, again, because I was in a networking degree, so I didn't have a lot of programming classes like a pure computer science major might have. Right. Did you, um, I think I remember you told me that the, the .NET thing was an intentional kind of like learning the job type situation. What yeah. was that experience like? Yeah, so the place that hired me right out of college, um, they came to my university, which was Arkansas Tech, um, and they were just hiring or interviewing students. And since they were there, you know, I decided to just go ahead and do an interview, even though I hadn't planned on being a programmer. Right. Um, so I did the interview and got the job and they have, they immediately put you in the six month uh, training program where basically for the first six months of the job, you spend most of your time um, in class, especially for like the first three months. And then for the remaining three months, it's kind of like 50, 50 um, in class and doing little projects and stuff. And so they actually taught me all, basically all of classic ASP, um, mm -hmm. COBOL, JCL, which are two old kind of old things. And, um, some beginnings of .NET, but not a ton of it. Um, and then I, I did a lot of COBOL and classic ASP and then eventually got put on a .NET project at work and just sort of picked that up um, from the existing code that was like already written on the project because um, I, I wasn't writing it from scratch at first. And so that's kind of how I, I kind of just taught myself .NET, you know, as I got in there because I was already been programming for a couple of years. So picking up right. another language was not too difficult since... They actually wrote in VB.net, and all their classic ASP was in VB. So, Right. The syntax was really similar. Wasn't too bad. So that, that actually, I, I wanted to ask about .NET and MVC, but stepping back for a second, when you guys were writing PHP in school, um, was this classic PHP? Was this, I, I'm assuming it was 5.3 based on what I've talked to you about before, right? Was there any framework or anything? No, there was no framework on that project that I remember. There was no, it was just like classic. From what I remember, because I actually had to put it all on a thumb drive and install it at this charity. It was just a bunch of random PHP files. There was no like <laughs> real structure to it. 
index.php, about.php. Yeah. And all the you got all the all the HT I remember looking at the HTML and all the PHP being sort of mixed in. Yeah. Yeah. Um you got your your SQL queries up top and then uh the end bracket and then all of a sudden your HTML. Yeah. But then when I came yeah. back to PHP later, it was on PHP five dot three. So Okay. I um but but again I kind of started with um playing PHP for a few weeks and then quickly realized that I needed some structure and that's when I used Code Igniter for a little bit. Okay. Now, did when you were doing .NET, was it .MVC at that point or was it some predecessor? I've done both. I've done .NET Web Forms, which was sort of a predecessor to .NET MVC yeah. and I did later I did .NET MVC. The early versions. I had experience with Web Forms and I never got my brain around the way it works because if I remember right, it's basically Rather than a router, a controller, or anything, it's really basically a form that handles its own validation. It handles its own everything, and and everything is centered around this form, and then that form, and then that form. Yeah, and and it's just a very different mental model. Am I? I know that's not a great description, but am I remembering right that that's kind of the difference between that versus .NET MVC? Yeah, I think what they did is they took uh, WinForms, which was sort of what we used to write desktop apps, and on mm-hmm. Win and WinForms, how it works. You know, if you want to do some action on a button click, when they click on a button in your desktop app, you like literally in the designer can double click the button and it takes you to the spot in the code. That's like a click event handler and you huh. write all of your code. And I think on web forms, they tried to have basically their thought process was, wouldn't it be cool if we can kind of make the same model for the web so that all these WinForms programmers can write these right, dynamic right. web applications. So you can, you had the same thing where you have like button click handlers in your .NET code that correspond to things on your front end. And somehow they routed that, you know, using, I don't know if it was query strings or what they were actually passing in the form, but somehow they were able to route that to the right piece of code when you click the button on your web front end. And so it felt sort of like building a WinForms app and was really different than any other web technology I've ever used since. Yeah. Yeah, and that, the, the, that was the reason I was asking is because I've talked, my brother uh, has done .NET MVC for ages and he kind of helped me understand MVC when I first got into CodeIgniter. Um, but I remember having written web forms before that, and it's it's such a complete. It felt like a little bit like writing, you know, classic ASP, especially if you're using VB. But then it felt a little bit like some kind of you know super powered jQuery, basically. Like yeah, it felt basically. Very, it's yeah, it's not it's not like a mentality that I'm used to seeing anywhere else. So so before you got back into CodeIgniter, you had had some experience with .dot .dot MVC then. Yeah, I had used .NET MVC, and that's why I even knew of frameworks as a concept to look for, mm-hmm. basically. So, so you you got a job out of school. It almost seems like it was sort of like a sponsored boot camp, basically those first six months. Is that a, a good way to think about it? They're they're kind of giving you some real world world stuff, but you're actually sitting in classes sponsored by the the company. Yeah, a little bit. It was all on site, and all the instructors were full time employees that actually were you know, in other departments, actually, and they would mm-hmm. just pull them into these training classes when they needed them. But um, it was a really kind of unique place. They only hire new graduates, and everyone goes through the same training program. It's sort of like they just want people fresh and wanted to sort of train them in their way of doing things rather than hmm. bring in existing programmers that are already, I <laughs> guess, you know, ingrained with other ways. But Right. That you have to untrain, basically. Yeah, it was basically one of the, I guess, the only places I've worked that only hired new graduates. Interesting. Um, 
So so you're doing that, you're working in .mvc, and you have this idea that you want to do some side projects. And you mentioned that seeing uh, your partner in the, that class project use PHP kind of gave you a little bit of the idea that you could do something on your own. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, what the mentality was and what the thought process was that led for you to, you know, have a good paying job doing .mvc that you could, you know, you could probably do that for quite a while and saying, you know, I want to do something on this side. Like, what was the itch there? I think part of it was having um, freedom to move wherever I wanted to. If it did kind of take off, then I could work from home and we could move back closer to family because at the time I was living like three three or four hours away from the main you know bulk of my family, which sort of lives in one town. Um, and so it was just going to be more, more freedom is what I remember, you know, to kind of live wherever we wanted to. Yeah. So... You, you wanted that freedom. You wanted to be able to be self-employed. And if it's anything like it was for me, and then you can tell me if I'm wrong, that there wasn't as quite a, a significant of a culture around being an entrepreneur as it feels like there is today. There's, you know, there wasn't, um, you know, all these conferences about being a solo entrepreneur. Um, I guess hearing Ian and Andre talk about it, there, there definitely were, um, you know, uh, what are they? What's that forum they're always talking about? Business of software. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know about you. I mean, had you ever heard about any of those folks who are like really big about doing your little business, or is it just sort of something where you said, "Well, I want to do this, and I'll figure it out as I go." No, I didn't know anyone else doing anything like that, or I didn't yeah. go to any websites that talked about that or anything. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm interested. It's see if anything will come out during this this chat, but like wh- whether the lack of those resources helped or hurt us in various ways. Yeah. So. Um, so you, you, you knew PHP was an option. You knew that you could ship with PHP and you at least had the ability to compare it against some other web-based programming things. And it seemed like PHP was more viable for getting something launched working solo. And so you dug into PHP, you did a little bit of, uh, old school procedural PHP, quickly realized you wanted to do CodeIgniter. What was the first project? Do you remember that you built with, uh, CodeIgniter? Uh, one of the first projects I built was like this really niche thing, um, I had known someone that owned a book bindery, like they rebind old books. Mm-hmm. And I was going to build a little system for them to take orders and keep track of orders of books they were rebinding. So it was like a very okay. specific uh, product for this company. Yeah, I think they were yeah. based in Tulsa or something at the time, pretty close to where I was living, really. So you built an app custom for them mm-hmm. um you you built it in code igniter i mean what was what was hosting like and what was the front end like do you remember any of the other technical details of what that was like i think i used DreamHost at the time so it was just a shared yeah. host um i because i didn't really know how to configure my own vps until yeah. years later basically uh so yeah i know i was on DreamHost and would just ftp the files using filezilla because i was on yeah. windows at the time and actually didn't even have a Mac until I started working for Userscape after Laravel hmm. had been built. So all of Laravel, the first version, was built on a cheap Windows laptop. Huh. Yeah, so I would just FTP all the files up. And uh, when I first started, I was using you know Notepad++. <laughs> Stuff yeah, like man, that. I love Notepad++. Yeah. A lot of good work done with Notepad++ and uh, FileZilla. Mm-hmm. So you, you were doing that, and at some point you felt like... Uh, well, actually, I was going to say, at some point you felt like CodeIgniter wasn't giving you what you wanted, but I actually, the, the reason you and I first interacted was because I was a CodeIgniter developer who had started learning about 
um, IOC and DI and stuff like that. And I said, oh, I, well, you know what I want is an IOC container for CodeIgniter. And this this guy, Taylor, you know, this young guy had written an IOC container for CodeIgniter, and I couldn't find the code anywhere. Mm. And so I ended up DMing you or something, and you ended up saying, you know what, I just pulled it. I got rid of it. I pulled it in Laravel. You should check out Laravel. That was basically like how I first got into Laravel. And I, I'd followed Jeffrey at NetTuts for a while, and he'd been talking about Laravel for a bit. So that was what finally switched me over. So it sounds like before you went off on your own to do your own thing, you were trying to work in the, the CodeIgniter ecosystem to kind of improve it what what was that like yeah so at first i had no intentions of splitting off and writing a framework but you're right one of the first projects i wrote was uh, ci inject or synject or something like that and uh-huh. i was actually pretty proud of that it was actually the first reflection based ioc container in php at all that i'm aware wow. of there was one other uh, ioc container that was also written in 2010 a few months later um but so that was because that was one of the main pieces of .NET MVC that I really liked was the auto-resolving container. And yeah. Lar- Laravel's container still works basically like that first CodeIgniter container did. Um, and then uh, the other thing I was really interested in was a better ORM for CodeIgniter. And I wanted to get those two things in. And the, oh, there was a third thing. I wanted a better templating, kind of like Blade, where you have... Um, you know, you have an extends at the top and then you define these sections that override the parent template section, stuff like that, template inheritance. Yeah. And I remember the th- kind of the final straw that I couldn't really continue with CodeIgniter anymore is I wanted uh, auto-resolving dependency injection in my controller, CodeIgniter controllers. Right. And, and to make that work, you really had to start editing the core files in a way that was not going to be, you know, in a nice packageable shippable way where other people could do it and so then i kind of hit this crossroads where i considered just forking code igniter and sort of making this special edition of just sort of souped up code igniter on steroids and giving it sort of another name yeah or um just kind of starting fresh and i think i just started fresh to just sort of experiment at first and then got so far along i just kind of kept going Um, yeah and I know I rewrote the first version of Laravel probably a solid five or six times until I was happy with it. What was the um, what was the first thing you wrote in Laravel? Uh, I remember writing the routing engine first, um, probably the routing and the views. And I think I don't remember exactly what I was doing for the database at the time. There was a Active Record implementation called PHP Active Record that mm-hmm. even at that time had sort of become abandonware. Um, yeah. That was back in 2010. And then there was another couple of libraries. One was called IDIORM, or it was IDIORM. And then it had a corresponding ORM called Paris. I think the IDIORM thing was like the query builder, and Paris was the ORM. Got it. And actually, Eloquent was very inspired by uh, Paris because it sort of had that model where a relationship is just a function on the model that returns a query mm-hmm. builder. And Eloquent, of course, still works like that to this day. So Paris probably deserves quite a bit of credit for, um, you know, coming up with that model. And I don't think the person who wrote Paris even programs PHP anymore last time I looked. But I'm not sure if they're aware that Eloquent was so inspired by that. That's really cool. Um, So I I remember the moment where I realized I had to leave CodeIgniter was when I recognized that some of its inherent restrictions were forcing me into writing worse code. Like, for example, some of the ugliest stuff in my old CodeIgniter apps were because I had uh, a database models, they called it, which was really like 
it was a model and a repository and like three other things, but you cram it all into one. And so you have methods that are just everything you could possibly imagine that would touch the the database in any way would all get crammed into a single class. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you figured out enough to at least differentiate those classes by table, but that wasn't even always the case. And, and like you said, without without view inheritance, you're, you end up loading views and data in every controller and passing them around to each other. And you've got like a, a single variable that you're passing through your controller method that kind of tracks the data that's eventually going to get passed to the view. There's just a lot of things that because of the constraints of code igniter you just wrote worse code when you started doing laravel i mean i uh, so you wanted to be able to do uh, dependency injection and all these things how much of your mindset was i'm going to write things that are going to make people write you know better code um and how much of it was um i want to do these things and i can't do these things you know was it was it a purity kind of concept was it a ease of use concept or are those things all kind of tied together at first, I feel like it was a lot of ease of use, but also there was some purity mixed in as well because of the whole dependency injection thing, which mm-hmm. I, you know, considered kind of a mere, more pure approach to doing some things back then. And of course, still is uh, a more pure approach a lot of times now. Um, so yeah, I feel like, but also ease of use was huge too, because I wanted it to be very like Apple-esque where it was just not really nice to use out of the box and you didn't have to sort of do all these hacks and customizations to get it really nice that I had to do with coding nighter. I wanted it to be like when you unwrap Laravel, it was just sort of this nice package that you could use and was all cohesive and coherent. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit further in that for a little bit. One of the things you've talked about since the early days is that you recognize that the, the documentation in the community um, just make a really big impact on people's experience working with a framework or a library. Um, you've you've referenced the fact that Code Igniter was so successful in large part because it had great documentation. Um, so for starters, what do you think it is that prepared you to be in a place where you could recognize that? Is it because you hadn't trained to be a programmer? Are there other experiences in your life where that made you more sensitive to those types of things? Or do you even have a sense for what that is? I don't know. I feel like it was just sort of a low tolerance for pain in, <laughs> in terms of programming um, because programming wasn't like a hobby for me even really back then. Like I didn't come home and, and program. I did other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so to have like a painful experience programming wasn't that great for me because it wasn't something I was particularly obsessed about. And so if I was going to do it at all, I wanted it to be like really enjoyable and, and easy yeah. to do and sort of fun. Um, so I just had a really th- low threshold for any kind of pain points and the tools I was using, I think. It's like we always joke about the fact that a lazy programmer is a good programmer because they're gonna, you know, they're gonna do the one that doesn't waste time or whatever else it ends up being. So yeah, yeah. I hear that. And even when I was at my .NET job, like I had already kind of discovered that I really enjoyed writing tools that help programmers be more productive because I remember one of the things I did there, kind of in uh, my free time when I had a few extra minutes, was I wrote this little program called WeDev in .NET that was like the closest thing I can think of it would be like a lot worse version of Slack, but it had a chat. It had a file Dropbox where we could drop files to each other. And it had like a little status indicator of like what you were doing then. So it was like our own little instant messenger with a file share thing. And so, but I really love that project. So that was kind of my first taste of, Hey, I really enjoy making developers lives easier. And I think that was part of what drew me into Laravel was it became this fun project to see how productive I could make, a programming environment. 
Yeah, I like that. One of the things that really struck me when I first started going to Laravel conferences was how many people told stories about the ways that Laravel had changed their lives. And that was something I wasn't used to. I think people kind of like, there's some, you know, some jokes around the, the, the terms of artisan and some of the other terms we, you know, we use in the Laravel world, but it's, it's reflective of a really different approach for what the priorities and values are coming from Laravel. Like what's the goal? And that's kind of what I was asking the question about mm -hmm. purity versus ease of use is it seems like developer happiness is really a very significant, like productivity and happiness are really significant um, kind of goals that you have there. Um, I, when you were building Laravel, you started out and you wanted to kind of scratch your own itch. You wanted to make something that was, you know, it was good for you and it made, you know, you be able to do things a certain way, but you know, you, you were, relatively public about it you started showing people um at what point did you start to realize this is something people are responding to and this is something that really might be a you know a big player in the you know post code igniter framework world i think when i was pretty far along and had basically a finished product um, only then did i really decide that i would go all the way and document it and i Mm -hmm. knew that the documentation would be huge because I felt like that was why CodeIgniter was even popular to begin with because, um, you know, there was Kohana, which was another kind of CodeIgniter-esque type framework that was had some advantages and had some better features, but the documentation was so much worse that it just never really had the same steam that CodeIgniter had. And so mm -hmm. I had picked up on that pretty early that if I wanted Laravel to be popular, I would have to write really good documentation. And so I tried to write basically like code igniter level documentation from the very first 1.0 release because I'd seen a lot of people put stuff out there and then it's like, you know, documentation coming soon or documentation in progress. And it just, it's never right. going to get like the same reception as if it's a finished product. Um, and so I thought it was, I thought I had a pretty productive little thing and decided, hey, I'll go ahead and document it and put it out there and see what the response is. And my kind of mentality at the time was even if literally nobody else ever uses this, then that's fine with me because I, at least I have something enjoyable to use when I write right. PHP. Um, are there any like either people or moments or inflection points or whatever where you point to a thing and said, if that if that thing hadn't happened or if that moment hadn't happened, it would have been a completely different story. Yeah, so there's a couple of moments. One, a big moment was there was a point where um, a few PHP programmers were kind of teaming up to make this PHP framework called Fuel. And it was a, it was a few Code Igniter people like um, Phil Sturgeon and Dan Horrigan and uh, this other, one other guy, I think, one or two other guys. And I think they were trying to kind of build the successor to Code Igniter that was uh, moving faster and had features that people wanted and stuff like that. And they had some pretty decent um, marketing pages for it and stuff like that. And I remember I had had some ideas. I was actually excited about Fuel and had some ideas that I wanted to put into Fuel. And I can't remember what they exactly were at the time. I think one of them might've been some kind of route filter type thing that ended up being in Laravel uh, or something like that. And I had messaged uh, one of them and said, Hey, I'd really like to help out on fuel. Um, this is the feature I want to add or whatever. And they weren't like super interested in the feature, which is fine. Like it's not like a knock on them. <laughs> they just right, like right. weren't interested in it. And so right. I was like, Oh, well, okay, I guess I'll keep working on Laravel. But if they would have, bit on that and been like interested in 
you know, me kind of helping with fuel a little bit in some of these things, then of course I think things could have been really different because huh. I would have jumped into fuel and started adding stuff there and probably would have just started using it and kind of become invested in it. And so, yeah, that's one moment, probably the biggest moment I can think of where things could have took a really different direction. And, Interesting. you know, because that feature wasn't really a fit for them that I just kept working on Laravel. Yeah. Well, uh, I, for one, am grateful to whoever it was that rejected <laughs> that feature. So, um, I mean, I, and I think that it's not to say that there something else wouldn't have come along, you know, mm-hmm. but I think your life would have looked a little bit different um, after that point. So I think that's a good time to ask a couple questions about what's your life like today. Um, and, and then, so when you were working full time, I assume it's at least a 40 hour work week, a week um, job and you were writing Laravel on the side. Do you have a sense for kind of like what your hours a week were looking like? between day job and kind of Laravel work? Yeah, I seemed to have a lot of energy back then. Like I would, um, I worked eight to five and then I came home and James, our first child was pretty young at the time, just basically Mm -hmm. a baby uh, when I had first started working on it. And so I would hang out with the family from five to nine. We were just in a little two bedroom apartment. Um, It's like 900 square feet. So we were all kind of in there together (laughs) pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Abigail would go to bed around nine or nine thirty, and I would actually stay up until one or one yeah. thirty. A lot of the times, like going to bed at midnight for me was like, oh, I'm going to feel great tomorrow. I went to bed at midnight, <laughs> but so I would stay up until midnight, one, sometimes two, the majority of nights really, and work on Laravel. So I was putting in, let's see, probably three to four hours of Laravel work every night, um, yeah. and somehow felt pretty good actually. Um, I, I can't really seem to do that anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't no, know. I don't know either. what changed, but yeah. I mean, I wrote. I, I I when my wife was pregnant, she would go to bed at nine o'clock every night, and I was not happy with my day job situation. And that's when I wrote my first software as a service. And I, I was working ninety hundred hour work weeks between my you know my normal job and that. And so it's the same thing. I there's no way I could do that right now. Yeah. But I'm glad I did it then. Back when I had that energy. Yeah. So even even that. when I wrote Forge, I was still working at Userscape and would stay up until midnight or one routinely yeah. uh, because that took like six months for me to build just in my free time yeah um so so at some point you had laravel to a point and i I don't want to go too deep in the story because that's been told before so i want to cover things that haven't but you you got to a point where laravel was good enough that it attracted ian's attention he was looking to kind of do a rebuild of userscape which was handled php from scratch and he picked laravel and he hired you and said hey you know, you, you build this thing out and you can make Laravel better so it can support our needs. Um, and, you know, you you would add a lot of features, you know, that Userscape needed and that helps, you know, Laravel grow up in a lot of ways. So you've told that story. I think the interesting aspect um, that hasn't been covered before is um, what what the shift from being Userscape plus Laravel to solo Laravel look like. Um, so what were some of the things that you were thinking about when you were starting to make that decision, when you're starting to consider going out on your own, what was scary? What was exciting? Um, what considerations did you have to have before you decided to go solo? Um, some of the scary parts were just not knowing how much longevity Laravel as an ecosystem would have. Um, because just Forge was out and was doing well and I was actually making more on Forge than I was making at Userscape pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still, Laravel was still relatively new. I mean, it was only three years old when Forge came out. So 
there was questions, you know, what if everyone stops using Laravel? What if a better framework comes out in six months and everyone's yeah. like, you know, screw Laravel, screw Forge, I'm using whatever now. So that was one of the main fears. Um, the exciting part was that I would just have so much time to work on Laravel, just like at the time it was just unfathomable, you know, how much time that would be because 40, yeah. 40 hours a week on Laravel, you know, if I'm working just two or three hours in my free time a night is two weeks worth of free time, you know? Um, so I could try stuff faster. I could experiment faster. That was the most exciting part for me. Yeah, that's cool. I, I remember talking to you during that time where it, to me, it seemed obvious because I, you know, I have a similar kind of story where I did, I did dream host, but I was running a software as a service from 2010, 2011. So I needed a VPS and I tried managing my own Linode VPSs and it was just awful. Like I, I was, I wasn't training that stuff. And so I ended up paying for these super constrained hosts that didn't let you do what Code Igniter and Laravel needed because nothing like Forge was out there. And I just couldn't afford for my SaaS to, to pay a DevOps person to handle it. When Forge came along, I mean, that just, I mean, I don't want to like be bombastic, but it really revolutionized individual developers and small teams' ability to run fully robust VPSs without having full-time DevOps people. I mean, that, that so for me, I think it was from someone from the outside. I, first of all, I said, please let us pay you more money. But second of all, it was re really clear that that was going to sustain. But I know that there were times where it was a little bit scary. Um, uh, Within your realm of comfort, I don't want you to have to say your deepest, darkest secrets, but what does make you nervous today? Um, what, you know, are, are you worried about some other framework? Are you worried about PHP no longer being viable? Um, are you just feeling pretty good? Like what, what does, in the life that you have where Laravel's very popular, very stable, what, what's on your horizon? Um, nothing makes me too nervous anymore because even if Laravel you know, started dying today and died a slow death over the next few years, I would have kind of secured like my future at this point. Um, yeah. In terms of like, you know, I'm going to be able to retire with my family, the kids college is paid for and stuff like that. And I don't have to worry yeah. about those things as much anymore. Um, so I would just be like, okay, great. Thanks for the memories. And cool. I would apply to work at Titan, I guess. No, <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes, I'm sold. <laughs> and I would have to just go back to, uh, you know, being a, a regular guy programmer working on projects and stuff. But um, I don't know, you know, so it doesn't make me too nervous because I always try to have this mentality that Laravel obviously will not be a thing anymore and that either because of php is not a thing anymore or right there's some other framework that's better or whatever um so i don't know how long that will be but i don't really get too nervous about it because i feel happy with sort of the what i created the memories i made um what it did for my family you know for decades to come basically and um so yeah if it all ended tomorrow i would be fine like i would it would be a fun ride you know I love it. That's really good. And I, I think that uh, that makes me so happy. I just I want to touch two other things, and then we might just cut it short. Um, the two other things are in that same direction um, about just what makes you happy and what gives you peace and uh, outside of programming. So I think the first question is, do you have any, any daily practices or any mantras or any things that you do to kind of center yourself and kind of just help you handle life uh, when it's stressful or not? Just things to keep you steady, I guess. Uh, yeah, I try to meditate some, uh, can't say I do it every day. Um, 
but every other day at least, let's say, um, try to meditate and, you know, for me, that's kind of a spiritual thing. Um, but mm-hmm. for other people, it might not be, it might be more of just like a focus your thoughts kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and also just try to keep life in perspective, like during that meditation, I guess, try to think some of those things, um, same thoughts where I don't want to hold like too tightly on, you know, the success of Laravel or being a popular programmer as like core to my identity, because I think that's sort of setting yourself up for a lot of pain, like in the future, because kind of all things pass away eventually. Yeah. Um, so it's just a kind of a time to just sort of like focus my thoughts also to just think about, you know, my family, stuff like that. Um, you know, more important stuff than programming, but I find it just kind of like de-stresses me a bit, kind of helps me focus on like what's important and, uh, is, you know, kind of refreshing, but now I, I mean, cool. try to make time to do it. You know, <laughs> I feel like as soon as we get up in the morning now with two kids, it's sort of rushing around everywhere, getting ready for school and stuff like that. So, but yeah, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you gotta be, you gotta be intentional about those things. Um, you've talked a little bit about, um, kind of productivity systems and how much you love Wonderlist and stuff. Mm-hmm. How, how structured do you keep your life? Do you, do you have, um, you know, this is the hour when I do that. I know, remember you've talked about starting with pull requests and issues. Do you still have some of those same structures or is it different with Muhammad around? Uh, yeah, I still have some structure. It's not structured to the point that every hour of the day is structured. I'm more kind of focused like in day increments, um, more so than hour right. increments. So, in Todoist, which is what I moved to after Wonderlist, which I'm really enjoying, actually, um, I kind of have this bullet journal approach where I only really hmm. sit in the today column of Todoist, and I have usually like five or six things that I want to do that day, and I have them in Todoist. And then I have projects that are I treat um, just as sort of grab bags of things I want to do at some point. So some of my projects in Todoist are you know, actual projects I'm working on, like Laravel Horizon was, where I have all the things I want to do. But some of them are just like movies I want to watch or music I want to listen to or something like that. Um, So, yeah, I do keep my day fairly structured where I start my day with pull requests and emails. But then after that, it's not so structured. Um, So I just kind of work through my to-do list for that day, sort of as I, just whatever I feel like doing uh, next. Yeah. But yeah, it's still structured. Um, It's still structured at a daily level. Right. Um, in in regards to the, the music that you're going to listen to, uh, I'm not going to ask you to tell me the best rap album <laughs> of all time because we, we could do a whole podcast on that. But do you have one that, even if it's not your favorite today, has been like the longest running favorite or the most significant impact or, you know, just like the one that you just played out like no other album or something? So I feel like I've kind of, I kind of go and, phases and it's kind of funny because each Laravel release I feel like has had an album that like I really played <laughs> oh, a lot fantastic. for that release so I know on one of the releases I played uh, the Views album that Drake put out quite yeah. a bit one of the releases yeah. was the Life of Pablo from Kanye West yep um, but I think one of the albums recently that I really played a lot uh, was I think you pronounce his name Black even though it's spelled mm-hmm. with a six on the front so six lack is what it looks like yeah but he's kind of like a rapper-singer hybrid, I guess you could say, almost more singer than rapper. Um, but I played that album a lot when it first came out and still play it quite a bit. Yeah. All right. Um, did, you, did you like 808s and Heartbreak? Yeah, I really like that album. 
I I played that out like no album for quite a while. Yeah, I'm looking through my music. Uh, okay, another album I played a lot um, was Blue Neighborhood by Troy Sivan, who's not a rapper at all. He's a singer. Um, but I that's another album I just like really wore out over the past couple of years. <laughs> huh, I've literally never heard of it. Okay, you should check that out. I uh, definitely will. That's awesome. I'll pull all this in the show notes. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Oh, so... I'm sure rap is one of these, but what outside of programming inspires you? Um, whether it's inspiring you to do good things with programming, you know, because you hear something that gives you a, a thing, or just inspires you in terms of your life and your family and your, you know, your entrepreneurialness or whatever else. Like, what what inspires you? Um, anytime I travel, I feel like I get inspired. Like, anytime I see some cool part of the world mm-hmm. or some you know, something really beautiful piece of scenery while I'm traveling or something, somehow that sort of inspires me to just like create cool stuff in general. Um, yeah. And so for me, that usually translates into th- trying to think of cool uh, Laravel ideas. So travel is a big inspiration for me. Um, let's see, what else? You know, music is a big inspiration. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Those are the two things that jump out at me. That's good. Um so I didn't prepare you for this one, so sorry. But my uh, my friend DeRay and his podcast always asks every guest um, for one piece of advice that they've received that's really influenced them across their life. So is there any one piece of advice that really stands out that has had a big impact on you that you've gotten from somebody else? Um, one thing that comes to mind that wasn't really a piece of advice, but just more like learning is probably from my grandfather um, who just like, did jobs really well um and like anything he worked on he just made sure it was like always done really right in like a way he could be proud of and um i don't know i I guess it kind of goes back to like an old-fashioned work ethic that he must have been raised with but i think that was really inspiring and i actually blogged about this once but when i i worked with him actually when i was in college we took care of all the lawns like at our local church which was a lot because they had soccer fields and uh, big, just big lawns and stuff. And so, and just even with that, like the, he put a lot of attention to detail into that um, and sort of inspired a lot of my own attention to detail and the like, you know, going forward. So yeah. it wasn't like a, a spoken piece of advice. It was more of just a thing you had to observe, but was pretty yeah. impactful. Um, That's, I remember that post. I'll, I'll link mm. it. To- well, I, I, I could ask you questions for another hour, but I'm, I'm going to try and keep this one uh, to the hour range. So I think that is pretty good for my questions for today. Is there anything else, especially along this line of questions, but just in general that you feel like you want to talk about today? Mm, I can't think of anything. Okay. Taylor, this was ridiculously fun. And uh, the part of the reason of having you as the, the first episode of the Laravel podcast season three is because everybody you know wants to know about you and you got a lot to say, but... Also, I just want to say officially, like from from me and from Dan, from the the crew at Titan, from the rest of the Laravel crew, thank you for um, what you've done for our community because you really, like when I talk about Titan, I say, you know what, like we're creating a company that we want to take care of people, right? We want to create good jobs for people and stuff like that. And and I'm, you're doing the same thing with Laravel. Like, yeah, you, you make money off of it and, and you, you know, you, you, you have the ability for yourself to create a certain kind of code and stuff like that. But your attention to to providing good things for people is evident uh, throughout this interview and just throughout everything um, about what you've done for for Laravel. So from all of us, <laughs> thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Awesome, man. Well, um, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And uh, that's it for today. All right. See you.
<laughs> See ya.